0: Ha! Got there first. Thanks, Simon. You stole it
1: from me, Sarah. I think (laughs) we are here indeed. Uh, we're here actually at the Barclays Rice Building today, and uh, joined by a familiar voice to many of you—the one and only Sarah Finham from Cleomatics. And uh, well, this is a bonus episode. Uh, we're covering the Ion Hackathon, which does sound like something from outer space. What, what's really going on here, Sarah? What, who's Cleomatics? Let's step back to that first.
0: So that's a very good place to start, Simon. So, Cleomatics are a uh, core blockchain infrastructure technology company. Founded in 2015, based in London, we have around 40 members of staff with expertise in cryptography, research and development, engineering, and deep expertise as well in financial services.
1: Very cool. <laughs> uh, deep expertise sounds like uh, something subaquatic, but um, yeah, I, I think this uh, Ion Hackathon, um, again, I'm, I'm really digging the name because it does sound like something I'd read in a comic book when I was younger, definitely to attract the nerds. It's around interoperability.
0: It is, exactly. So ION is a framework that we've recently open-sourced around interoperability. The idea of the, of ION in and of itself is that it's a general interoperability framework, meaning that it's not just Ethereum to Ethereum, because obviously we build on Ethereum at Clearmatics, but it can be potentially used for other platforms including legacy platforms too. Ooh, so this all right, so let's take a step back
1: because interoperability is one of these words that people throw around. Why do I need interoperability in the first place? I'm a bank. I'm trying to run my uh, my business. I'm trying to uh, deal, I'm already integrated to most of my counterparties. What do I need interoperability for?
0: You do, so interoperability is generally a way for systems to talk to one another. So this isn't just related to the blockchain space, of course, it's, it's a, a certain... Uh, been a topic of conversation before, and it still needs to be a topic of conversation now. So effectively, what we're looking at here is different data structures in different systems and different ways that different parts of data can transfer amongst each other. So to put that in context, if you look at a dematerialized asset and the way that it is potentially issued and traded, cleared, settled, uh, and interacts with different counterparties and is Uh, stored in different systems. We need those systems to all be able to talk to each other in a way that we are confident that that data is correct in its transport and correct in its rendering as well. I I think
1: that confidence about the data being correct is a really interesting point. I I just want to step back to dematerialized assets does sound like what happened at the end of Marvel Avengers Infinity War and Thanos, (laughs) Um, but it's not about that. It's about taking um, bonds and securities and so on and representing them as ones and zeros in accounting ledgers sitting in most of your banks. And the question became uh, over the years, different asset classes used different protocols to be able to talk to each other. So I had Swift, I had FIX, I had FBML, but it was sort of like sending you an email. Like it didn't mean that any, like if I sent you an email, it doesn't mean the spreadsheet that I've attached to it makes any sense, but mm-hmm. I can still send you an email, but you're trying to get the spreadsheets to match.
0: Yes, exactly, that's a nice way of putting it. We want to move into a situation, into a topology across the market where we're confident that those data structures will match. And just like if I send you an email, via a different email client, you can be sure that the, the data I send is rendered cor- correctly. We need to make sure that the data of these assets is rendered correctly as well.
1: So you could use Apple mail, boo hiss, um, and I can <laughs> use the wonderful Gmail, and it would still work.
0: Exactly, yes. And, and
1: it gets, a, so talk to me then, we know, uh, I think, it's probably fair to say the blockchain space amongst the developers has been a little bit tribal. Um, you know, the, there's a very strong Ethereum community. There's a very strong Hyperledger community. Of course, there's the guys at uh, Corda and R3. There are many others like Digital Asset. You know, are you going across the spectrum? Is this just for people, fans of Ethereum, the one true god?
0: No, it's not just for fans of Ethereum, the one true god. <laughs> um, so we actually started off in May with doing a POC with Exony who are, of course, Ethereum-based. Mm-hmm. Um, but this being a general interoperability framework, of course, it needs to move across different platforms as well, we need to have the data transfer, or if you will, the value transfer,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, interoperate and flow across those different platforms. So this hackathon has people working on three different platforms, of course, Ethereum, but also Hyperledger Fabric and Corda 2.
1: Interesting, so talk to me about who some of the participants are, you know, what are their backgrounds?
0: So we have a team from Barclays, who are obviously banking, engineering based, we have a team from Santander who are engineers. We also have Web3 Labs who are part of the Ethereum community who are building tooling around all of this stuff. Um, and we have Adhara who are part of Consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they've got some technologists and also some business minds here. It's a real mix,
1: right? So you've got the, the big names and some, some of the smaller, uh, smaller organisations.
0: But last but not least, we have a team from Bedford School, which is pretty cool.
1: What like how old are these people?
0: Yeah, they're A-level students.
1: Oh my God, this yes. terrifies me. A-level students, no. Why they're are these young so good?
0: They're incredibly smart. They started using Ethereum, well, two days before this hackathon um, and they've picked it up very quickly and they, um, well, I, I, I won't spoil the thunder because I hope they'll, you'll be able to speak to them later, but they're, they're very good, smart well, guys. Well,
1: But in business terms, what does interoperability actually mean?
0: I think the most important thing in business sense is creating interoperability across platforms without an intermediary. Okay, so
1: I've got no intermediary, therefore I don't have somewhere else to park collateral, therefore I'm more balance sheet efficient.
0: It's about balance sheet, it's also about customer lock-in and choice and... uh, So vendor
1: lock-in, right? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. I I have the opportunity to use... I may still want to use a trading venue or a CCP or whatever from a risk standpoint, um, but I can have optionality over who that is and I'm not locked in.
0: Exactly, you don't need to add risk by adding another intermediary.
1: Well, that's an interesting point. All This is going to be a fun show. Hold on to your hats, people. Um, more interviews to follow uh, on Blockchain Insider. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, I'm joined by George, uh, who's the CTO here at ClayMastics. George, talk to me a little bit about why you're doing the hackathon, why you feel interoperability is such an important subject.
3: Yeah, so interoperability has been a big area of focus for us for probably about a year now. And we've been investing in creating this ION framework and in tandem with our views on decentralized financial market infrastructure, we're looking for a way to exchange state and value between different systems without having trusted intermediaries. So interoperability is quite easy to do if you've got somebody in the middle uh, stamping things. Uh, It's quite hard to do if you want to do it in a trustless manner.
1: Yeah, without that person in the middle keeping score, suddenly things get a lot harder. Uh, So talk to me about what's different about your interoperability approach compared to you know we've we've seen a few out there historically. People talked about side chains. People talked yeah. about um, there was the uh, one from Ripple. I um, can't remember what it was called, but they were looking at shared secrets sort of thing. Right, right. Um, what, what's different about your approach?
3: Yeah, so I suppose to start with, we're a framework, so we're agnostic to different platforms, and we're also agnostic to use cases. So um, initially, we started with Ethereum to Ethereum and exchanging value and we moved to exchanging state so we can now model all of the interesting things that Turing complete machines can do. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we're starting to look at other platforms so uh, we've got an adapter for Hyperledger and as part of this hackathon uh, we released a full DVP workflow and the teams here have been building on top of that and I think we're going to see some interesting Hyperledger to Ethereum uh, use cases coming out. So I think we're different in that we don't have an intermediary token um, so we're not commercially invested in this interoperability layer. It's fully open source. And we're really interested in an open ecosystem where, you know, hopefully we can automate most, if not all, of the trade
1: lifecycle. That would be interesting to see. (laughs) So uh, interesting hackathons today. Um, Anything that's exciting you so far without giving away too much? We haven't interviewed everybody yet.
3: Um, Yeah, I think we've seen a really interesting uh, use case from uh, Santander, Mm -hmm. um, a hyper to Ethereum I've uh, got the team from Bedford School who are modeling, uh, receiving exam results on a blockchain. Wow. Uh, they, they've never worked with Ethereum before. Uh, they're frankly amazing. They've like, delivered loads of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think all of the projects have been really interesting. Adhara have, have come through. They're modeling, I think, an FX swap. Yeah. Uh, between two, two Ethereum chains, so it's really pleasing for us to see that the framework is useful. And, and
1: if people want to find out more about the framework, is that all on your website? Yep, yeah, uh, github.com
3: forward slash climatics forward slash ion.
1: Thank you so much for being on Blockchain Insider. Thank you very much. Well, we're still at the ION Hackathon, and I'm joined by, well, a, a good old friend, uh, Mr. Ed Budd, a reformed banker. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Out of farming retirement. Indeed. You're, you're doing something in this, uh, this crazy, crazy world we call blockchain and DLT. Uh, do you want to remind our listeners uh, what it is you're doing and what you're working on?
4: Yes. Yeah, so we're a uh, new firm incorporated recently, but uh, we're focused on liquidity and payments in the commercial bank space.
1: And the name of the firm? Is Adara. Adara.
4: Yeah. And we're working mostly with our central bank and um, commercial bank customers to really get an angle on how you improve liquidity yeah. rather than cost of payments and speed of payments. Yes. Getting a real business benefit that is <laughs> that is on the, yeah, on the business model side. Yes. Uh, and is also something that's executable without a huge network effect. We're not a, a giant network. That's not our not our aim, we aim to bring some real bottom line benefit in the first phase.
1: And can you put some colour to that? Because everybody wants more uh, liquidity and, and more efficient capital. Uh, what does that actually mean? So it's, it's a way of, a,
4: of an individual banking group being able to take control of its liquidity management in terms of how much it deploys across its own branches right. or subsidiaries. And to do some some neat things that would otherwise, as we know, cost a huge amount in typical core banking uh, integrations, uh, which not only take a long time but rarely, rarely get there, as we. we oh, well believe
1: know. me, we know a lot about the cost of uh, core banking transformation. Um, at Eleven FS, we always say we didn't set out to build a core banking platform; we had to because they were so painful. Um, so yes, um, the, the, there's there's lots of fun to be had messing around with the cores of banks. So this is so. So think of it like that: all that
4: hidden away information that's in there. And actually finding a way of, through the tokenized format, bringing the visibility into that. And because of the way in which you have transformed that, i.e. it's in a token form, you're actually now able to do something with it. So it's not just MIS in the the old sense. It's Mm -hmm. sort of there's power with that visibility
1: power with visibility indeed and and if uh, if I know my, where my liquidity is I can optimize it a whole lot more exactly uh, and if I have a real-time view of that I can be moving it around in real time responding to the day's events responding to price movements responding to risk build up etc
4: edging in the market and and most importantly for us ultimately extending that out to your clients yeah uh, absolutely. You know, there's, a, there's a benefit to the to the group but actually there's only really so much
1: balance sheet to go around after all yeah. Uh, already uh, enough banker nerdery. Um, talk to us <laughs> about uh, interoperability. So we're here at the hackathon. Uh, what have you guys been doing with Ion, and, and where do you see it supporting your business?
4: Yeah. So the, the reason we're here, really, really important for us and, and the community, I think, is you know we're we're, we're looking to be uh, sort of enterprise-grade, client-agnostic. We believe that's fundamentally important thing for how people differentiate between those doing the the network and the protocol piece and ultimately the business use that you put that new connectivity to yeah so for, for us it's a real test around we've we've deployed what we do on a number of other clients in the enterprise ethereum space this is a great opportunity for us to test another one and to do it quickly which is the climatics net and then you know the second piece for us is obviously you know there needs to be there needs to be choice and there will be different variations of implementations that go out there across commercial banking or central banking and they're going to have to be
1: able to talk to each other you can't expect everybody to be using the same software vendor
4: no and, and actually it would be it's a real differentiator for this ecosystem in terms of there's choice in that but there's there's not a lack of interoperability so you, you're not locked into you don't get that foreboding sense of i'm now locked into a technology and there's yeah yeah you know, as we know the struggles of a, of a procurement officer at a bank that you know justifying why a versus b versus c yeah is is not really a decision you need to make here. And that's something that I think there's both, you know, some education that's needed, but also we're now seeing the maturity of these bits of the toolkit really come to the fore.
1: Absolutely. So uh, crystal ball time, uh, what's going to happen next? Are we seeing people really making the most out of everything that's happening in DLT land? Are you seeing a movement from the major banks, you know, Uh, Former MD at Deutsche, Um, this is somebody who you know left that space with a purpose. Are you thinking, "Damn it, take me back, bankers"? Or are you thinking, "No, no, we're we're here. We're making a difference." Uh, 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 No comment on the last piece, obviously. uh, No, definitely, uh, I'm
4: seeing progress. Yeah, but I'm seeing quite grown-up progress as well, Mm -hmm. uh, which is well-considered progress. That's not just about the technology, but people thinking really hard about the legal, the accounting, all of the other pieces that go around it. And so, what's What's beginning to get closer to market, it just has a more rounded feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been tested in lots of non-technical ways as well. But what I see in the marketplace is also people beginning to not necessarily specialise, but people find their place. Mm-hmm. Rather than everybody looking at every name, whether it's Adal or others, as everybody does everything. It's hopefully becoming clearer with with launches like this that we're focused on different parts and that, you know, we are getting choice of clients and it is coming enterprise grade and we're also providing real software that goes on top of that.
1: If people want to optimize the liquidity, if they want to be making more from their balance sheet, where do they, where do they go to find out more about you? They go to Adara.io. Adara.io. Thank you very much for being on the show. We're back here and I'm joined by, well, quite a different group this time to, uh, to some of the other hackathon entrants. We're joined by... Well, we're joined by an A-level school. Where to go, you guys. Um, but uh, to explain a little bit about the team, of course, we've got Dr. Dave Wild. Um, Dave, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what brought you to this hackathon and, and, and why you've got the students involved?
5: Yeah, absolutely. We've. Um, I, I'm Dave Wild. I'm head of computer science at Bedford School. We're a boarding school uh, and uh, in Bedford, about 50 miles north of where we are now. And one of the things that we're really keen on is getting boys involved with things that are both intellectually demanding and uh, extracurricular or co-curricular sort of, although we have computer science A-level running in the school and GCSE, we want to do something that sort of really taxes them. That's outside of the curriculum and relevant today. Mm -hmm. These are the guys that are gonna be fundamentally important to the future of these types of technologies. So why not expose them early to it? Mm -hmm. And we've come up with, um, well, well, we came down from Bedford School a couple of days ago, knowing something that tends towards zero about blockchain, ION framework, Ethereum networks. It's all new to us. So our challenge has been to sort of identify what it is that we can take on. And we came up with a case study, and the case study is around about data exchange between exam boards and uh, regulatory bodies and schools and students. And what we're trying to do is to solve the problem of data exchange, which is that they have different metadata, they have different ways of describing metadata, different transmission protocols, and we're trying to use blockchain technologies and the ION framework to simulate a way in which people can talk in the same language and in a secure way. So I thought we'd start by maybe introducing Alex, who's an upper sixth computer science and math student.
2: Uh, so, yeah, I'm Alex Ward. Um, I'm sick, computer science and I'm mainly interested in computer science and economics. That's, this was quite an interesting hackathon to come along to. So, when we were looking at the problem, we thought we don't want to force, again, we're looking at examining bodies and examining bodies returning results to students as we felt that was an issue closer to heart than, <laughs> say, doing financial transactions and bonds and all the other things the groups other groups are presumably <laughs> doing, which we know nothing about. So, you know, exam results, we're familiar. Bring with it
1: onto that. your home court. I respect yeah. that.
2: <laughs> so, our thought process was, it would be nice if the exam bodies could have their own like a standardized system but having all the exam bodies in the world and all the schools agree hey we want things in like a PDF or a spreadsheet they wouldn't be able to agree on such things and even if they did all the exam bodies would have to go update their systems and like introduce these new things and given they have to do this every single year they have to publish these results there's a risk that they might mess something up Mm -hmm. and if they do that's one year of students who've just been put heavily disadvantaged absolutely so we thought let them keep their networks. Let them keep what they've made, because they, they want to keep separate companies. They don't want to just merge into one group. They want their own distinct features. Let them have it, and then we use Ion as like a cross connector between them. So instead of you having, instead of them having to change themselves, they keep what they want, and then we just have this Ion network between them. Brilliant. You go to there. So that was basically what we've been trying to get a use case working for: is changing like what has previously been transaction-based contracts and things like that, and changing them to results contracts. It's like I am a student, I have my unique ID, which is my student ID. I will register on this network, and then I will send out, I want my results, and instead of saying payments back to me, they will send my results back to me through the secure systems that are built in. Uh, So I'll move on to Matt, because he did a lot of the actual coding and the technical solution to it. Uh,
6: So yeah, Matt, I did uh, uh, quite a lot of the uh, implementation of uh, our idea. So uh, I guess um, we used three uh, contracts uh, to dummy our, our environment. So we had a, a student contract, uh, an exam board contract, and uh, another exam board. And the, the basic principle idea was a student would uh, would log on, create their account, then they'd be able to request their results. Um, maybe using a load balancer, it would determine which, which exam board's got the, uh, the least uh, amount of load on their server. So their request would first be sent to, let's say, OCR exam board. Um, we'd then use ION, and we'd admit events. Um, so e- the initial receiving exam board would admit an event saying to every other exam board, I've got this candidate ID, this or student ID. Give me, um, find every bit of information or every result you've got correlating to that ID. Then I want you to send it back to this address. So that, that would be the uh, original student address. Very cool. So that was uh, the basic principle of our. Yeah, Um, and it's
5: true to say that, of course, our particular use case is around about exam results, but it could be that the exchange of data between any consumers or or providers of data. It doesn't have to be limited to exam results. Well, there's a really interesting thing as well about people faking
1: having gotten exam results in different countries around the world sometimes as well. And, and, and also there's, there's things like doctors and people being struck off the list with the General Medical Council. Well, that's fine in the United Kingdom because we all know who the General Medical Council is, but you go internationally yeah. and suddenly that gets a lot harder. So syncing up these data sets globally in a way that's standardized with software to help you could be really powerful.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: There's also the blockchain element that they are based on blockchains which will keep that information stored. Yeah. Isn't it? A- and they'll keep it stored and they allow you to say not only is this true and we agree it's true, but this is no longer true and we agree it's no longer true. So I could have historically issued issued you a signature that said I think this thing is true, but it would be something I think, not that we think, right? Yeah. So there wouldn't yeah. have been that consensus. Yeah. And secondly, uh, I could pr- potentially issue something that says I no longer think this is true, but you might not receive that. So there's no guarantee that the the revocation uh, w- would have ever gone through. So anything else you gents want to add? Oh. Well, we made,
7: a, we made a very basic sort of frame front face, but it wasn't really anything beyond just to show that it would kind of work. The idea was that. It would be something kind of similar to what was the name of the thing which teaches some
5: sort of some sort of portal basically yeah, where people would yeah.
7: you'd you know so- sign up a student under their various personal information which would yep. then be used to try and uh, separate them. It would then issue them a uh, candidate number. That candidate number would then be used as a username to enable so the student would sign a password. If They could then use that password and username combo to then access the uh, results whenever they came out, which would
1: be decided with blockchain. Fantastic. So, gents, what do you take away from this? What have you learned? What are, what are your reflections? Uh, uh, like a whole load of programming. I've yeah, learned
5: probably a lot. Uh, I
7: did actually- Well, all of that. No, 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 no. I actually barely knew any code up until about two, three
5: days ago. Yeah, James doesn't study computer so science. Study the computer other science. three science. do. Yeah. So this
7: was really, really interesting for me. So this is very very much a trial-by-fire learning experience.
1: Well, I think it says a lot about, uh, I think, some of the frameworks that are out there now. If you can go from zero to understanding it or, in yeah. in two to three days, so I think maybe, you know, there's some people around that might have helped it along a little well,
5: bit. Well, no, actually, it's less me. It's more Matt. I mean, Matt, Matt, Matt took control. And and also just having people with a general understanding that these these things exist out there and having spent a couple of days literally just going out onto the web and finding out what is all this about and trying to articulate that in some sort of use case you know it it it's it's trying to apply things that we sort of learn at school but outside of the school boundaries to do something real so, with it
1: and, and i think that's that's always the interesting challenge i guess as an educator right yeah it, absolutely that yeah. once you that, work is nothing like school and so everything about school is trying to prepare you for it but it's still so incredibly different so there's nothing like hands-on experience to really give you that feel.
5: Yeah and as educators what we want to do is to give people the opportunity to use the knowledge that they've learned but also understand that there is a way of thinking that mm-hmm. that is a, applicable to the knowledge that they have absolutely and you know and it's not just about the exam results at the end of the day even though that's our use case <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is about transferable skills in the end and taking that into business and going well i've seen something similar but not this but i know how to think my way yeah, through. yeah i think i can get through this yeah that's awesome gentlemen thank you so much for being on blockchain insider thank you very much thank you. pleasure
1: So I have the good fortune of being joined by Web3 Labs. How are we? Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Blockchain Insider uh, for the uninitiated. Uh, who are Web3 Labs?
8: So Web3 Labs are primarily known for uh, as the core maintainers of the Web3J, which is the main Ethereum Java library.
1: Fantastic, and. Uh, You guys have been involved in this uh, Ion Clearmatics Interoperability Hackathon. Why is interoperability so important? Um, Especially as you guys come from an Ethereum background, there's other blockchains out there that's not the one true god. Um, Is is interoperability something that you guys see as as critical going forward? And why?
8: Yeah, I mean, it's something that's uh, very interesting for us as a company. So we're not specifically tied to Ethereum. Mm -hmm. So we've got long-term goals to be... Uh, to, to basically be in the go-to place for enterprises to, to talk to blockchains. So that could be a Corda or, you know, it could be Fabric or it could be Ethereum. And from our point of view, the interoperability becomes a really interesting piece for us and the libraries we're building. And so if you can get that interoperability working, it doesn't really matter what blockchain you're working on. People still come to us, use our libraries and then everything else works nicely.
1: Lovely, uh, and, and the Java community broadly is is really starting to to grow in the Ethereum space. So obviously, when Solidity came along initially, that that wasn't uh, wasn't the case a few years ago. Do you see that adoption of those Java libraries really starting to scale up and and important for enterprises? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk to enterprises, you're
8: talking about Java really, and you know, much as it is nice to talk about uh, you know proofs of concept being done in JavaScript and and go. Uh, realistically, when you're talking about enterprise-grade applications, you're talking about Java. And in terms of you know, market size and pool of developers you can call upon for that kind of work, you know, it's
1: massive. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. completely different. So what did you guys do at the hackathon today, oh, in the last couple of days?
0: We tried to uh, kind of model the reference uh, rates of <laughs> how uh, we would measure it, like how would banks communicate. So basically, we used, like, we used a private network, where every bank would uh, submit their rates for the day, and uh, we had one agent kind of who would actually <coughs> uh, be able to read all the submitted rates. Since they were private to the other banks, so one bank cannot know it's it's running on a private network. Yep. It's private to it's pri- private to each bank, and the regulator or the agent can view all the rates. And at some point of the time in the day, they would publish the rate to the public network. Ah. So the interoperability basically there, which we used, was between the Quorum, which was a private network, to publishing it to the main Ethereum.
1: Interesting. So you are seeing Quorum increasingly being looked at quite seriously by a number of enterprises, most famously JP Morgan, but of course we saw the South African Reserve Bank looked very closely um, with their proof of concept in the space. Um, and you would expect that those banks would potentially be transacting with this privacy uh, kind of uh, shield almost that, that Quorum offers them and then wanting to interact with the public Ethereum network for all kinds of things like publicly uh, put it, putting out rates. What did what did you learn during the course of this? Was there any insights that came out of the last day or two? Or was it just sort of like, and, and what is it about Ion that you've learned as well? So
8: one of the frustrations of getting things published onto to mainnet is that you need to verify some kind of provenance of, of where, that, where that came from. Uh, and in terms of what Ion does, it will basically say that um, yes, I can verify that that block that you've sent me did indeed uh, come from that private network at some point in time. Um, but it can't verify that that is indeed the truth now and forevermore, because it, uh, you, you could just verify that, uh, you it, know, you could, it could be done, just a right. fork, right? It, w- it was
1: true when I said it, but is yeah,
8: it still true? Exactly, exactly. So you've got no no real way of, uh, of, of, of verifying that over time unless you know, there's, there's some sort of a, you, know, you have basically have to do some kind of application level verification on top of that, um, uh-huh. which means essentially that uh, if people are relying on these rates, you can't really use it as a, a truly trusted oracle. You still need to do some kind of application level uh, work to go back to the original source and say, okay, what well, what was, yes, uh, you know, what was that situation at that point in time,
1: uh, and get the data. So you We're- still need access to that private network absolutely so the the public network would be less reliable you wouldn't be able you wouldn't be able to use it all and you wouldn't necessarily be able to to, to trust what it had published uh, over time particularly so where that leaves us then is clearly interoperability is important Java is important to enterprises uh, where can people find out more about web3
8: labs uh, web3labs.com or you can go to our, our github for web 3j and uh, yeah that's it basically
1: great thank you so much for being on blockchain insider I'm now joined by the one and only Dr. Lee Brain uh, of Barclays Investment Bank. Lee, how are you, sir?
9: I'm very well, thank you, Simon.
1: Thanks for joining us. You, of course, were involved in the uh, Cleomatics Ion Hackathon, uh, and you represent Barclays, of course. Uh, why did Barclays decide to participate in this hackathon uh, with, with Cleomatics?
9: Well, uh, we have a history in the blockchain space of encouraging open innovation, particularly through our RISE initiatives. And we held a successful hackathon uh, last autumn regarding the common domain model. And when we're looking at the complex topic of interoperability, we thought actually, rather than Barclays itself just doing a, a deep dive and an analysis, wouldn't it be better to actually open it up? And the reason is, if you're looking at a protocol, it's good to see as their appetite across fintech startups, other banks, the whole ecosystem to engage with this protocol or not. So, we thought by working with Climatics to run a two-day hackathon we'd be able to get a really good sense check of what others thought of this protocol. How easy, how difficult was it to leverage it? And because it's open source, there's an opportunity for participants to also contribute back to that project.
1: Interesting stuff. So in the DLT blockchain space, why is interoperability so important? Because the, you know, there's, a, there's a few different, um, I guess you could call them platforms out there or protocols, um, you know, each with their pros and cons. I, how, how are you looking at that interoperability subject and why are you guys seeing it as important?
9: Sure. So it, in my view, interoperability can be one of the most complex topics in the blockchain space. You have interoperability between apps on the same technology platform, but different instances of it. You also have interoperability between different technology platforms. And then, of course, you have the interoperability between those blockchain platforms and integrating back into banks' existing systems, some of which use legacy interfaces. So that creates a quite complex tapestry that you have to navigate when you deploy new solutions. Blockchain adds something extra to the mix that's complex. It's different to the existing way of working, which you have your own isolated data and processing environments, and you agree a standard for the transmission of data. The protocol is all around that transmission. When we look to blockchain, it's more than that. We're looking to transmit elements such as state and provenance. And migrating those aspects are much more complex than a simple protocol for data fields. You need to pass effectively integrity and guarantees. So what does that mean? How do you transfer it? Is it all about data, pro, data um, provenance or is it more about control flow? Actually, it's about all of these topics. So I, I view it as at the heart of potential success these initiatives. And the idea of a heterogeneous future state with more than one technology platform, I would say is inevitable. There should be, for example, three, four plus platforms, but ensuring that they can work together will then be key. And it's not just technical, it's business as well. We need to make sure that assets can flow across these different platforms. And Many of the use cases that are being considered are actually just looking at isolated islands. The real synergies will come when they connect and work together. So we we view interoperability as essential.
1: I can imagine so. I mean, uh, I think that those layers of complexity are are not to be uh, kind of... uh, dismissed without due consideration, uh, especially when you're dealing with uh, kind of the uh, complexities of a global investment bank that's talking to countless global counterparties about different asset classes, um, and a good chunk of the global economy is flowing through and on a daily basis. Um, so as you as you take that complexity and as you look at something on a smaller scale like a hackathon, what were you looking for from from the hackathon participants in particular? And was there anything that stood out
9: to you? Well, we we, we had um, judging criteria that we used against each of them. And there's also a philosophy against this as well. So in in terms of some of the criteria, there there weren't set exercises. So it wasn't question one, question two. They were free to come up with their own use cases that were relevant to them. So there's an element of creativity and innovation there. And it was inspiring to see some that were, for example, a, a team... School team that deployed a solution that was oriented around um, exam boards and students gaining access to their scores. I came up with more financial solutions. So there was that creativity, there's also correctness in terms of what was deployed. Some look to construct a user interface on top of that. And then finally, there was the presentation themselves. So they each had uh, four or five minutes to pitch. Effectively, their solution. And some of those pictures were fantastic, and including self deprecating humor that engaged the audience. So it ranged from innovation, technology, and also presentation. But um, in, in terms of what we were looking to get from it, I would say uh, as a bank and other banks potentially would be a view on understanding the complexity of being able to, for example, validate something from one blockchain technology on another blockchain technology. And it was, it was a view that if, if there's inspiration, you know, for example, in the case of Ion that started in the Ethereum platform, um, how much effort to perform validation in fabric, in Corda and so on. And I think we got good insight into that. And then going forward, EY will be producing a report, um, which they'll publish in a few weeks' time, which will be an independent report. They sat in with the judges. They talked to all the different teams. So so I look forward to receiving that. And I think, for me, that should um, provide useful learnings for us as well. Exciting times
1: uh, already, uh, Lee. One last question before I let you go. Um, you know, this DLT stuff's been around for a couple of years now. Um, you've, you're a veteran of investment banking. You've seen Fads come and go. Is there really something here in this DLT space, or are we really just sort of uh, all wasting our time?
9: <laughs> so, so, in summary, that there is something there. I think the key thing we we went through is a journey about um, a couple of two to three years ago of working out what is that something. You know, what what is the diamond in the rough? So, as part of our architecture reviews in this space, we identified some what we would categorize as special sources regarding DLT. Mm -hmm. And depending on the use case, whether it's an element of synchronization that's enforced or a data standard or a business process event lifecycle that's enforced via smart contracts, for me, I like the design patterns that naturally flow from it and get enforced across the industry. Whereas in the past, each individual bank would tend to take that and then enrich it and do variation. So I like the fact that it enforces good design patterns, For one encourages data sh- distribution and sharing where appropriate, so support certain business models. And um, so there's a whole host of points there. You have to drill down to specifically what is the benefit Of this distributed processing or decentralized data um, model. Now, I think standardization is key. So as you're aware, initiatives such as the common domain model that I mentioned earlier are not just a a predicate for doing this, they're also an enabler. Um, When you get a group of banks and institutions getting together with a trade association, inspired by blockchain and um, distributed ledgers to reimagine how capital markets could work, set up working groups, and then internal working groups on how to adopt that technology, you know there's something there in terms of inspiring change.
1: Absolutely. Lee Brain from uh, Barclays Investment Bank, thank you very much for joining us on Blockchain Insider. Thanks, Simon. Great. I'm now here with uh, the one and only John Whelan from Santander. John, how are you, sir? Uh, Very good. Uh, Thanks for the kind introduction. Uh, Thanks for being on Blockchain Insider. So uh, really quickly, you were involved in the Cleomatics Ion hackathon. Uh, Why was Santander uh, involved in in such a hackathon uh, around DLT?
10: Um, Well, we were involved from uh, two perspectives. Number one, I was invited to participate as a judge um, by our friends at Barclays. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Lee Brain. And, uh, you know, always happy to uh, be a judge for interesting um, startup developments in the distributed ledger space. Um, since the hackathon was going ahead, and given the fact that we've got our own uh, internal, you know, blockchain center of excellence uh, with several skilled developers that have experience on different platforms, we also decided to send a, a team to compete. Um, naturally, of course, I didn't have any uh, 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 judging um, requirements related to our own team. Those um, okay. were to uh, uh, China- consider that a Chinese wall. Um, But the reason for involvement is um, over the past uh, three years, really, uh, we've done a little bit of work with the Clearmatics team uh, through our uh, 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 project uh, called Utility Settlement Coin, which involves 16 other banks as well. So that's where we know the Clearmatics people from, and the invitation came from Barclays to participate. Excellent stuff. And why is interoperability such
1: an important subject around DLT? Well...
10: I think it comes to the simple fact that the world now accepts that there will be many distributed ledgers. And the different distributed ledgers will probably be built on different technologies. Uh, we may have Ethereum variant blockchain ledgers. We may have hyperledger fabric ledgers. We may have ledgers that are built on Corda from our friends at R3 or from Digital Asset, et cetera. And when we've got applications on one ledger uh, uh, that need... Uh, perhaps to intersect or interact with applications that live on another ledger, some kind of interoperability protocol is going to be necessary. I'll give you a great example. If you've got a workflow application uh, for the issuance of securities, perhaps, uh, that might need the payment leg uh, to affect the atomic delivery of securities versus payment uh, upon settlement. The payment leg might live on another ledger. And being able to connect those two ledgers together in some way that uh, creates interoperability, uh, according to in the long run some kind of standards, uh, would be very very beneficial. And uh, that's it, that's it in a nutshell. We live in a world. We will live in a world of many ledgers. They are going to need to talk to each other. Uh, ergo, we're going to need interoperability protocols.
1: I think it sounds stunningly sensible. Uh, and just before I let you go. I- you know, you've been in the DLT space for a few years. Um, DLT is probably going through a bit of a trough of disillusionment, especially after what's happened in the um, public markets around some of the, um, the crypto assets and, and their, their price activity. You know, where do you stand on the real long-term value of uh, the crypto uh, assets versus DLT? If I'm a bank, does DLT still stack up or is it something I should be ignoring?
10: Oh, you asked me a difficult question, Simon. Okay, I'm going to give you my opinion, and that's all it is, um, just based on uh, the data points of the last few years and some experience. Um, I believe that blockchain technology and more broadly distributed ledger technology is profoundly transformational, um, potentially. Huh. And we have seen the explosion in 2017 of the ICO market, 2018, that essentially disappeared, primarily due to uh, you know, regulatory uh, requirements and issues that, uh, where the world realized that many of these ICOs do, in fact, look and behave, and for all intents and purposes, are or were securities. Um, and that's where the trough of disillusionment has come from in the public market, in that the ICO market has dried up. But what has continued to happen at a very rapid pace, albeit somewhat quietly, are the developments in the enterprise space, the work that's going on inside the banks, for instance, the work that's going on in other industries, where we're not um, publicizing everything that we do, but we are making steady progress. Um, I think where we'll begin to see some kind of intersection of, um, you know, what's been driven by the public markets and what's going on in the private worlds, and there's a lot of talk about this concept of you know tokenized assets where you can represent a real world asset in an entirely different digital form where it's controlled by cryptographic keys and where the uh, a record of ownership is on some kind of distributed ledger or blockchain um, we're going to see a lot of that this year, and my gut feel is that that's where the one of the large drivers of the industry that takes us forward um, is going to be around the tokenization concept. But the story remains to be told. Indeed, it does. Uh, Mr. John Whelan, thank you so much for being on Blockchain Insider. Muchas gracias y hasta luego.
1: Thank you, sir. So, Sarah, great show we've had today. Some really interesting insights coming out of the uh, Climatics and Ion hackathon. What are your takeaways from today?
0: Oh, it's fantastic group of people and group of teams that participated. It was really great for us to see Ion come to life. We got some great feedback Uh, There were some fantastic real-life use cases and even front-end, too. So, yeah, we're really happy with how it went. We look forward to continuing to expand on ION.
1: So where do people go if they want to find out more about Cleomatics or ION?
0: Well, you could go to Cleomatics.com or you can go to github.com forward slash Cleomatics forward slash ION.
1: Thanks for having us. And uh, thanks for doing Blockchain Insider with us.
0: Thank you.